Hey, hey guys, what's going? I'm Seth Johnson. Um, you, a lot of you probably know me for my writing that I do with Nuvo, but I'm actually here today as a board member with Musical Family Tree as well. And uh, this is the licensing panel. Um, we're going to talk about music licensing, which is actually something that I will be learning about some as well through this panel discussion. But I'm going to just let all of these people introduce themselves and kind of tell you a little bit about their experience with licensing and kind of why they're up here in the first place. Uh, my name is Kathy Cook. I work at Secretly Group. I manage the sync and publishing department there. We have four record labels in-house and a publishing company, and we're based in Bloomington. My name is Mario Arango. I am an attorney, and we specialize in music and entertainment law. I am also down in Bloomington, Indiana. Uh, my name is Mina. I am a composer that writes music, original music for commercials and film, and also license um, for the same medium. And I do not live in Bloomington, but I live in Indianapolis. I'm Craig. I'm an attorney, although the only time I work in the music industry is when friends get in trouble and they need some help. <laughs> I'm an artist some of the time, and uh, I run uh, Fourth Sunday, a little nonprofit for local music. Cool. First off, I kind of just want to start down with Craig and Mina. Um, can you both kind of elaborate maybe on your experience with licensing, kind of the ins and outs of it, maybe some of the things that you've enjoyed about it, some of the benefits you've had through it, as well as maybe some of the struggles that you've had through it as well. So when I did my first music thing, I didn't know that, you know, licensing existed. Um, I started late. Um, so like at, at 40, I decided to make a record. And really my only experience with licensing other than like licensing cover songs is, you know, I got a call one day from somebody in England that, that wanted to purchase a song and they had a whole different set of terminology and and I didn't understand any of it and I thought it was a friend I thought it was fake um, so I said sure you know when they said ten thousand dollars I said yes that sounds terrific I'll take it and it was two-thirds of the cost of the record that we made and I never expected the check to come and, and then it did and then I started reading everything that I had signed and it was relatively cool and I thought it would happen over and over again um, for the rest of my musical career and it hasn't even come close to happening again. And my friends that hear about it want to see the check because they're like, there's no fucking way this happened. Um, so I don't have a ton of experience licensing um, other than mechanical royalties and, and streaming royalties and that stuff. My experience is going to be different probably from a lot of people that have like bands. Kathy will be able to probably do more speaking about licensing when you, you know, want your, your songs from your records to get picked up. Mine is more exclusive, so I get commissioned to write. So I actually give uh, exclusive license. I mean, I still own the music, but I license to them either in perpetuity or specifically for the mediums that they're using it for. And the big benefit is I get paid, and that's awesome. But also the company that I work for will license from stock music libraries, and that is actually something as a musician you can submit to. There are tons of stock music libraries out there. And I mean, that's basically, that's a good, if you're going to submit to it, you should probably either start a publishing company, um, join a, either ASCAP or BMI or CSAC or go through a publishing company. But basically like Pond5 or Audio Jungle or Premium Beats or Killer Tracks or, I mean, you can Google search any of these. You can just submit your songs, especially if they're something that you think people from commercials or TV or something would want to license. And that's a really great way to get some money that way. 
So that's that. Kathy, I know through our email discussion, you were just kind of talking a lot about the ins and outs. And I kind of just maybe for everyone here, can you maybe just kind of elaborate on all the different elements of licensing, whether it be sync licensing or all these different things and kind of to people who may not know kind of what all that entails when you are licensing music. Sure. And feel free to jump yeah. in. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a very broad area. Um, so when we're talking about sync licensing, the, the gist of it is syncing music to picture, whether that's, you know, a TV show or a film or, or commercial or any kind of moving media. There are two licenses that are required. You have to clear the composition, which is uh, controlled by the songwriter, a lot of times administered through a publisher. And then you also have to control or you have to license the recording. Those parties sometimes are that can be the same artist if the same person wrote it and recorded it. Or it could be a large music label, um, oftentimes like Secretly, right? Or Sony, BMG, all, there's many, many publishers. Yeah, and usually the record label is controlling the recording on behalf of the performer. So, you know, anybody can, like every Halloween, you see the Party City commercial where it's like a house band that covers Thriller. You know, that's one really expensive license that went through Michael Jackson's publisher and probably a small fee that got paid to a studio band to license the recording. Yeah, oftentimes, I mean, one one of the things that if you're going to be going into the licensing area and, and the music publishing area and anything of that sort, one of the things you want to do is get familiar with the terminology. There is a lot of terminology and it really just takes kind of a hands-on approach. You know, you'll hear us talk about things like the master, you'll hear us talk about sync licensing, you'll hear us talk about grand rights, you'll hear talking about just general licensing in, in, in general. There's different licenses for different things depending on what you want to do. And getting a basic understanding of that terminology and the language that you're using in order to be able to communicate and even get the right licenses is really important because oftentimes if you reach out to a publisher or something and you just say, I would like a license, good luck. <laughs> yeah, it can mean a lot of different kind of things. From, from your perspective, I guess at Secretly, I'm curious, kind of, Maybe walk me through the steps of like, you know, you're given a song, then what happens next in terms of getting it licensed and getting it maybe into a movie or whatever. Kind of walk me through that. Yeah, the way our company is structured, we have a staff focused on licensing that um, we have some people who work on the creative side. We have a couple of people based in Los Angeles who are pitching our, our artist music for you know all these different sorts of media. And a lot of times it's, you know, different music lends itself to different types of uses. So we have a creative team who is listening to all the music that's coming in, seeing where it might be a good fit, and regularly servicing that catalog to music supervisors who are, you know, especially like television, uses a ton of music, we're getting a high volume of placements there. And then we're working with different people like ad agencies who might be handling ads, which is sort of a different community. It, it is, I would say, a small licensing community overall. You're going to run into the same people over and over again. And then when we have a request come in where somebody said, yes, I want to use this, whether that's based on something that our staff pitched or something that you know a director is just coming to us because they want to use a certain song, at that point, it goes to our 
licensing director who starts talking to them about the terms of you know what the project is, all of the details of the use, what kind of rights they need to clear for how long. Um, and at that point, we work out a quote and negotiate terms from there. We take it to the artist or writer for approval. And as long as they're on board with the terms, we will go back, quote a price for it, and then move into paperwork from there. So Secretly basically has relationships with music supervisors, is that correct? So basically other people, though, if they're trying to get their music in front of a music supervisor, it's all unsolicited, so they're going to have to try to go through a publisher, or they're going to have to try to like pay for one of those exactly. sessions that you can play your songs for the music supervisor. Yeah, okay. and it's hard. It's I yeah, would say it's, it's very... Yeah. It's one of those things where it's still the music industry is changing so fast. There's a lot you can do on your own without a label or publisher. I think licensing is a the barrier to entry is maybe higher. There are a lot of gatekeepers. There are, you know, music supervisors are constantly getting inundated with a lot of music and don't have time to listen to every single thing. And so that is a point where like a label or publisher or a third party company who a lot of times you can work with on a commission basis where you know you would never pay somebody to pitch your music but if they take you know a 15 or 20 percent cut of the license I think that's common. So also in our email too you mentioned like different I mean maybe other countries or other uh, kind of like talk to me about like when you're going about that as well kind of what are what are things you're thinking about when you're thinking of licensing a song? Oh, it's coming Oh, most favorite nations. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's not what it sounds like. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so, do you want to take this one? Uh, sure, I can. Um, so, most favorite nations is a term that we use in the licensing world that basically means um, she mentioned it briefly. There, there's typically two sides um, of a of a work, right? You've got the the composition, and then you've got the recording, and oftentimes you have to license both or yeah, oftentimes you're licensing both sides of this. Uh, Most favored nations essentially says that the treatment that you give to one party is gonna be the treatment that you're gonna give to everybody else in this deal. So let's say on the, you know, on one side, on the publishing side, like the music publishing side, they're asking you for 1500 and you accept that. And then you go to the person that holds the, the actual recording that we call the master, and they're telling you, well, we want 2000 That sounds like a very close deal, but what you have to realize is if you accept that $2,000, then and there's a most favored nation clause in the agreement that you're signing, then the person that you told that you're going to pay them 1500 automatically is going to get the 2000 Everybody gets the same terms of the deals and the licensing. It's a way to kind of distribute the wealth and keep it all the market generally regulated in that sense for how much the licenses are going. But yeah, I think that covers yeah. it. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You you would not want to give them most favored nation on that because the it's a, it's a difference in po- negotiating power, right? In fact, oftentimes one of the advantages that you can do with really big recognizable songs is you can license it from the publisher for a much lower price and instead of going to the really famous recording, instead of going to the people that own the the Beatles recording, you go to someone on YouTube that has done a cover of the recording and then instead of paying $15,000, you're paying I mean, it could be a huge price difference like that. And if you give 
if, if you say most favored nations and the publishing is costing you way more than the actual cover would cost you, that's, it's just bad. <laughs> it, it makes the price go very high up, very fast. Um, is there any other, you mentioned that there's so much terminology, is there other like very crucial terminology that you'd like, I don't know, feel is worth mentioning? I mean, there's, there's, there is a lot, right? We're talking about, the master is a really important one because that's when you're talking about the recording. Um, you, when we talk about publishing, we're talking about the music itself, and that's a weird, vague concept. The, we're talking about like notes and lyrics. Right, we're talking about notes and lyrics and things that can be written in sheet music and things like that. Um, masters are just the actual sounds that have been recorded by sound engineers and, and put out on CDs by labels. Um, most favorite nations, ma nations is definitely an important one um, that you want to know because it has deep implications down the line. Um, the, I guess the other thing that's confusing is like publishing and sync yeah. are often used interchangeably. When people right. are talking about a sync license, usually they're talking about the publishing license. And also getting an idea of the different kinds of licenses there are, right? We've got, you've heard already mentioned mechanical licenses. Um, what are those? Where do they come from? I can tell you their mechanical licenses come from the law. They're statutory. Um, there's grand rights, which usually is when you want to do things with stage and theater, when you want to make something on live productions. You've got um, theat, well, yeah, like, it's like ballet yeah. and stage plays. and Right, and then you've got sync licenses, which she mentioned already, and that's when you want to sync music to actual pictures, right? It's a combination of uh, music and pictures together. Um, we do a lot of sample licensing. Um, DJs, yeah, important for DJs. Um, Blanket licenses yeah. from, like, ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, those are really important. In fact, we're probably even covered under them right now in this venue. Um, Sometimes I'll send people out to check. Yeah, sting operations. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you have to help a friend convince you know them that their record store falls within an exemption. <laughs> <laughs> that is the one question that I'll get from like people in my small hometown. Somebody opened a coffee shop there. Yeah and sent me a Facebook me message. They're like, I heard you work in music licensing and I don't understand why this company ASCAP is contacting me saying I need to pay them money. I don't understand why I have to pay for that. But any sort of venue where they're playing music in a live place, there's a, a blanket license required to be able to pay songwriters for, for the music, either performed live performance or, or yeah. performed over the stereo in a business. Yeah, and anytime you talk to a small business owner of a coffee shop or of uh, an exercise facility, you know, a bar studio or a bike studio or somewhere where they're going to play, you know, even a CrossFit gym, they all get those demand letters from, you know, the, the rights organizations saying you owe us this much money a year. And it makes sense, right? Because they're a business that's using artists' art as a, as a way of making their business a better experience. Um, and that, that's just just part of it. Oh, and um, so all these licenses that they've been talking about, like you can find all of this online. Like there's a lot of resources. Um, ASCAP has all of them laid out as well. And then there's some like boilerplate sync agreements that you can like, I mean, I wouldn't fill in the blank and use one, but I'm just saying you could read through it and be like, oh, that's a lot of jargon. Um, but it's there. Um, 
And I like as mentioned too. I guess h how difficult would it be for like an independent, um, like an independent artist that's maybe not on labor, doesn't have anyone representing them. What, how difficult would it be for them to go about doing this? What are some things that they maybe should know when it comes to doing it on their own? Maybe like, can you elaborate on that? I would say it's an exercise in in stubbornness <laughs> because it it can take some time. Um, you'll end up reading something and then running into something else that you'll have to look up and then all of a sudden you're in a rabbit hole 50 Wikipedia pages away from where you originally started. Um, but it's it's hugely possible, especially nowadays with the internet and things like that. You know, as she mentioned, the, the music industry has changed so much these days with things like streaming and YouTube um, that make it much more of a possibility than the that the unrepresented individual or someone that doesn't have legal representation or doesn't have a team behind them can learn to do this on their own, at least sufficiently enough to be able to make a living off of it and be able to, you know, protect themselves to some extent. I mean, there there's sometimes where you, you know, you'll make mistakes. It's likely that you're going to make mistakes while you're learning this stuff. And you just have to hope that you don't make a horrible mistake. <laughs> Don't, don't give away the farm. Right. <laughs> don't give away the cow. Right. Yeah. I was going to say, at the very least, if you're writing and performing original music or selling original music and it's on streaming services, at the very least, get set up with a PRO, get registered with Harry Fox. You can be collecting mechanical royalties pretty easily through digital service providers. And that's you know money that's just going to come. If you're getting any kind of streaming traction, that's money that'll just flow into your account. Yeah, and that's that's the um, you can set yourself up as both a writer and a publisher because I think the way they pay is like fifty percent writer, fifty percent publisher, correct? Um, but what I was gonna say is like in this town alone, I mean, you got placed. Josh Powell's gotten placed in two TV shows. DF got placed in a Spike Lee thing. So it's like people in this town that are, you know, just hanging out. They've gotten their songs placed. So it's not impossible, but you do have to put it out there. And you, I think metadata is metadata. Yeah, metadata is very important. Um, yeah, let people know where who controls the rights. That's the main thing any music supervisor will say. Like, if you want your music license, make it very easy to say, you know, this is who wrote the song, this is who performed the song, here's the email address of where to clear it. Which part of what you mentioned, you know, getting set up with a PRO really helps with that. The um, PROs, by the way, are ASCAP, BMI, CSAC. There's a couple other ones, but those are the three main ones. Um, and they tend to have really easily accessible and searchable databases for what their catalog is. And if you ever have a question about a song, who owns it, who published it, anything like that, you can go to the PRO, put in the song, and it'll tell you this person owns this much percent, this person owns this much percent. Because oftentimes compositions are kind of split between people. So you you may end up chasing down multiple people. It may not be just one person. You have to kind of coordinate and find all the people that you need to contact and if you don't you can expose yourself to some real liability there she mentioned too and that you in the email said like when with like cover song licensing what's what all is the differences between that versus non-cover song licensing so i just did a cover song license with secretly uh, and it was maybe my favorite experience of my musical career um, <laughs> because I didn't know that there were people out there still that didn't license through Harry Fox. And so when I've helped friends before, the, the process has been super easy. You go to Harry Fox, there's a per minute, I think, amount depending on 
what, how many you're going to press or what you're going to do with it. There's kind of a statutory price that you that you just go to. So I wanted to cover a song that was a Jason Molina song that wasn't um, licensed through Harry Fox. And so somebody put me in touch with somebody at Secretly, and, and we figured out how to do it. They said it was totally cool to use it under a certain circumstances. And then I'm pretty sure Secretly is responsible for getting me on a compilation that um, – because I, I, the day after we got this license agreement, the people putting together this record called and said, and we'd like to use your song. And it's the coolest thing that's ever happened to me. So uh, <laughs> I owe secretly forever. But you should know cover songs are super easy to do. They're super easy to license. They're not expensive. Some of my best friends in the world, you know, reluctantly hate the cover songs that they've recorded. But like the Black Crows wouldn't be the Black Crows without Hard to Handle. Like the cover songs get people's attention and put you on the radar. And I've heard so many of my friends say, okay, that one worked. How long do we have to wait before we do another one? You know, and, and, and we can all probably name 15 cover songs that aren't the original that, that we love that are part of our experience. I would say one thing to clarify on that, um, as far as cover songs being super easy to license, that's again we're talking about mechanical royalties like just to put it on your record you don't really have to have permission for that you just have to pay a statutory rate of 9.1 cents per unit as long as you're paying the original songwriter's publisher you're covered the only thing that's tricky about that like if you're recording a cover song and somebody comes and wants to sync it don't say that you have the rights oh yeah yeah Yeah, i mean with with some of the, too muddy the waters even more, with some of the services we have available nowadays, for example, you see a lot of times people just kind of throw up, uh, they'll record something on their phone and they'll throw it up on YouTube and they do not get in trouble and you're stuck there scratching your head, why? Why aren't they getting anything said? Um, the reason why is because oftentimes these large services like YouTube, uh, Spotify, things like that, they already have a negotiated agreement where they're paying the licenses and why do they pay the licenses? Because they make a ton of money off revenue of ads. I didn't even realize that I had experience. I just got two takedown notices for family <laughs> videos that I posted because Kanye West and his oh, people yeah. were offended that my children were dancing to power. <laughs> and it was playing on a physical record. It's not like I synced it up to the video to make it look cool. You know, but this, this rights organization that was based in London you know, took serious offense to it. And I really didn't care until I got the note from Vimeo that was like, if you have one more, we're going to disable your account mm. because it's it's a three strike rule. Yeah. And so then I had to protest and claim fair use um, and win. Uh, so Kanye <laughs> zero, Craig two. Uh, <laughs> also, so I guess too, and you mentioned like the check that you got and uh, part of the reasoning behind this panel was just kind of the money that you can make from licensing. Can you kind of elaborate on that? It, it, it didn't bounce. It was ten grand. They didn't. They didn't even use the song. It makes no sense in the grand scheme of things. It was an ad agency in London for uh, a lingerie brand, uh, Agent Provocateur. It was um, priced in a way that it was two years. I wasn't supposed to grant the same rights to anybody else during that window of time there was a list of who they considered to be direct competitors. It was everybody who makes articles of clothing for women, not just the specific types of things they make. The check cleared. I didn't, you know, it didn't bounce. And I felt like they were doing the U.S. Navy thing 
where they dump their they fly all the planes out on the last day of the year and dump the fuel into the ocean so that next year they get allotted the same amount of fuel because if you don't use the fuel you won't get the fuel and so I really felt like oh they never wanted to use that song they they figured that if they didn't have the budget um, uh, yeah. that, that might be true because like, so I work with ad agencies a lot and I will say 10,000 is not especially in Indiana Indiana not your standard every day but they did want exclusivity they wanted it for two years yeah. uh, who knows what they're if it was like you know throughout the whole country or whatever the usage was but it's possible that somebody in the camp really 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 wanted to use it and they're like well let's just clear the rights and we're super rich and let's just 10,000 is nothing yeah. and just yeah. pay them so that we're covered because it's worth getting sued or whatever. So it's possible they wanted to use it, but I will say that if an ad agency wants to use one of your songs, probably not demanding $10,000 is, I mean, you're probably not gonna get that. Uh, yeah, I, I actually, they asked so. me what I wanted and I said, uh, make me an offer. And he said $10,000. <laughs> I said, oh my gosh, yes, completely. Um, yeah, and the, the range was huge. For more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was, um, it, too quickly. <laughs> it was uh, North America and Europe. Um, was was the geographical range, and there was a five thousand dollar extender if they used it outside of that range. Mm -hmm. um, but I never saw that. So. But you saw the ten thousand dollars. I did. <laughs> so I did. I and mean, I've had friends. I have a lot of friends that are touring musicians full time, um, that have a lot of good placement deals, um, a lot of TV, especially TV right now. Um, follow people you like on Instagram and watch who they're interacting with. My musician friends interact with the people that get them placements on Instagram about normal life more often than anything else because I think they're the bread and butter for a lot of them. Um, you know, I, I mean, several TV placements, you know, can, I mean, can generate, you know, 8,000, 2,000, 4,000, depending on the placement, you know, if it's a, depending on the, the type of show it's in and the reach of the show. Um, most of that's non-commercial stuff, like not commercials themselves. It's it's dramatic television. Um, yeah, it's not like Sync comes with a rate card. There's a huge variable, right. and it's not different, or it's not the same for every artist. Yeah. You know, it depends on the artist. It depends on the, even as far as TV, you know, network shows have vastly different budgets than something on Comedy Central. Yeah. Honestly, right now, now is now's the time to get in on it because there's so much content being produced. There's just an incredible wealth of content being produced. Netflix has started their own studios and they're creating, along with all the trash, some incredible stuff too. And all of it has music. Hulu is doing the same thing. Amazon has done the same thing. I mean, the amount of media that we are creating these days is far surpasses anything that we've seen in our history. Um, but it's taking your product, which is your music, your creation, and monetizing it. And that bridging that step between the two can sometimes seem like a really, it almost, yeah, not even daunting, just it's, it's hard to put a step to it, right? Um, licensing is the tool that we most often use to monetize the product, right? And on this stage, you've got four people who are in different aspects of that. You've got two people that are creators, um, and then you've got two people that are more on the like the legal and actual like, support, like yeah the support admin, admin role. role. Um, and every single person plays a critical role in doing that. But honestly, the artists probably have the hardest job. 
Um, they're the ones that have to hit the ground. They're the ones that have to get the names out there. You have to be able to not only, you know, build a brand, build the name, um, you have to get it out there. And the, some ways that you can, the most important thing is getting people to listen to your stuff. And the question is, how do you do that? There's, and nowadays you've got YouTube. Uh, one of the most powerful tools is Spotify playlists. If you can somehow get in good with someone that has a uh, that creates a playlist with a large following and have them drop your music in there, we've had clients that there's no way in hell that they will fill in uh, a, a venue even this big to in a live performance. But you look at their streams on Spotify, right. and they've got millions of streams, and and each one of those is generating mechanical licenses, royalties, mechanical royalties, not licenses. And it's, you know, finding that step, connecting with those people that's going to be help you essentially generate revenue for yourself. And you do have to kind of think as an artist, too, like when you do like DistroKid or something like that, like a service that pushes it out there for you and collects those royalties for you, you know, you get a choice that says, am I going to put this on YouTube also or am I going to leave it on just iTunes and Spotify and Deezer and uh, a title? And, and the other services. And there are there are decisions to be made, like balancing the ability to get it out to the masses for free through YouTube versus forcing the masses to find it on Spotify or iTunes where it's going to generate, you know, people make fun of the fractions of a cent, but nobody would be listening to me in Austria right now if it wasn't for, you know, those services. So, you know, it's 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 a push and a pull and there's multiple sides to it, but you do have to kind of understand like a lot of people are like, what do you mean? Why wouldn't you check the YouTube box? Well, you know, because you know, if they play it only on YouTube, the, the royalty structure is different. Mm -hmm. um, also, I guess like releasing singles and EPs seems to get you a little bit more attention on Spotify for, I'm not sure the reason. Yeah, absolutely. That's the, the move. Yeah, people keep, you know, on, on Fourth Sunday, we, we help people record for 10 hours once a month, a local band, and people keep trying to do full lengths. And I keep saying, why? Like, do one-on-one on one Jeff's right here. <laughs> but, um, but, but, like, um, uh, I love the idea of, you know, I press all my stuff on vinyl. Like, of course, I love the idea of a full length of, 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 of a meaningful big thing. But in terms of the world we live in today, Spotify will it will check out your singles as you release them and it the, an algorithm will hit your single and you know decide if it's going to make it automatically into some playlists and you know if you release 10 songs at once the same thing isn't happening the same attention isn't being given to those 10 or if you have a thousand followers or two thousand followers on one of those services you know if you drop a 10 song album on them you're you're counting on them to get to songs two through ten but if you do a single you know, every four weeks for a year, it probably makes it into their new release radar, you know, 10, ten different times. Um, so you just kind of have to think about what your strategy is for getting your stuff in front of your people. I'm personally curious, Kathy, um, do you, what secretly do you do a lot of that type of stuff with like getting artists on playlists and all of that or no? You do? I don't personally, okay. but yeah. at secretly, I mean, we have a dedicated team, I think at least three full-time staff members who are focused on digital playlisting and uh, digital placements and cover. It's, yeah, I mean, it's huge. 
the deeper you get into that world too like sometimes i think that like all of it like there's an underbelly to it like <laughs> yeah that stuff doesn't happen on its own yeah like. and one of my favorite playlists and i don't want to call it out because the curator is a friend of mine but the curator of this playlist is also an artist's management representative for the captive artist management company that Live Nation owns. And so then you sit there and you go, oh, of course those artists are on that playlist all the time. And of course they're playing Live Nation venues all the time. And then you kind of feel like the deck is completely stacked against you and you're never going to break in. And then you realize like, oh, wait, I'm kind of friends with them. Like maybe I could get into that playlist too or um, but you have to be willing to kind of work the system and, you know, figure out who the people are that, that control the playlist. Same so. thing with, like, the featured release banners on iTunes yeah. and, I mean, all of those things when you, like, log into a digital service or walk into a record store and things are placed a certain way. Like, those are somebody's pitching that. Yeah, yeah there's always a method to the madness and kind of seeing behind the curtains not always the easiest thing and finding the people that can help you. Uh, draw back that curtain it can be really important in order to generate revenue honestly i'd say that's one of the biggest advantages getting a team behind you can have because people like you know me or you or even either of you you know if you have friends or connections that have done this before there there's something to be said for variety for having had seen just a variety of these agreements come through uh, you don't really know whether you're getting a good deal or a bad deal at first if you're doing this on your own because i can 99% of the time there's going to be a confidentiality clause somewhere that's telling you don't tell anyone what we're giving you um so i mean it it's done purposefully and it creates you know it these gates that, that are heavily protected and keeps people in the dark yeah you know i've probably seen 20 music related agreements in my entire life and none of them only one of them was intended for me um, but i've I mean, the things that people try to get away with you know like these if you're gonna we'll, we'll help you promote your music in europe so long as if you release anything anywhere in the world in the next eight years, it belongs to, it us. Belongs to us. Yeah. And I've seen a variety of, you know, three or four times I've seen local people in Indianapolis be presented with that deal. And they're saying to me, isn't this amazing that somebody wants to push my thing? And it's like, but think it through. Like if you record something in your basement tomorrow and you want to put it out, you have to clear it with the people that you just signed this deal with. Um, and so you just have to kind of understand the full breadth of what you're getting yourself into. Yeah, that's a, a couple of friends of mine are writers down in uh, Muscle Shoals, and they, like, if you become a writer for this particular studio, even if you, after you leave, like, they still own everything that you write for so many years or whatever, like, even if you decide to leave that studio for a bit, it's like, it's kind of a, yeah. I would hesitate to yeah. sign that agreement. But. Oftentimes if something sounds too good to be true it is there there's something in the contract something something in the language in there that you have not understood that's not necessarily hidden but it's just not in a accessible language that the average person will read on one read through and be like that's what this means you can understand it you certainly can understand it but most of these agreements tend to be at least five or more pages uh, of dense jargon that you have to sit there and kind of 
wade your way through the quagmire of vocabulary to try to understand what's going on. And if you miss that one critical thing that all of a sudden you've given away all your rights unknowingly. Um, Work for hire is an important yeah. term. Uh, I to, you know, I'm so glad you brought that up. I wanted to talk about that at some point because it gets so many people. They have yeah. no idea what the term work for hire means. And if you ever see the term work for hire in your agreement, what you're saying is you are giving away literally everything for the one-time payment that they're going to give you, unless the agreement says they're going to be giving you royalties. But you're giving it to them. You are not an author. You will never be considered an author. You will never be nothing. From the get-go, from the second what you create is done, the author is the person that paid you the money for it. Legally. They own it. it. And if you want the best example of it of all time, it's probably Flea playing bass on Young MC's Bust a Move. (laughs) Because that song isn't the same without that bass line, and the video isn't the same without the stuffed animal pants that Flea's wearing. But Flea got paid 500 bucks, um, work for hire for that session. Um, And he challenged it, uh, because then the Chili Peppers had enough money to challenge things. um, And he lost, uh, very convincingly. Um, I mean, I will say, though, because, like, even, like, Nashville here, session players, no matter what they're playing on, if you're just hiring a session player, you're hiring for the session, that's that. They're not going to get royalties. They're not going to get, you know, so you just pay them for that. Yep, it's implied work for hire, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you see it, take it outside your music life, too. I mean, I saw three technology contracts today, nothing to do with music, but they were saying, you're going to create something for me for a specific amount of money, and it will be mine forever. You know, it's a work for hire clause. Independent contractors see it all the time in every industry. Um, So keep your eyes out for it and just know what you're getting into if you sign it. It's riveting stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the most important thing I think I would say is, Don't be afraid to reach out and ask. Um, Sometimes it may require an investment. I mean, let's not lie. If you reach out to an attorney, they're going to want to charge you. Um, Some attorneys will do things on a contingency fee. Uh, If you have friends that have done it, reach out to them. It is not an easy barrier to entrance here, uh, but there's ways to to get around it and, and ways to build a team that can help you navigate this quagmire. Cool. Are there any, does anyone out there have anything? yeah you you really could be giving up way more than you realize um for a very short-sighted payout um when in reality the fact that someone wants to do that to your product means that your product has value Right, that's what you have to realize. If you've got even an offer, even if it's not a great offer, what it means if you, is it's you've created a product that someone somewhere has decided it has some value. Don't underestimate the power of that. The question. Where do you guys see licensing going in the future? Whether it be like copyright law or formats or structure of deals or stuff. What do you guys see? Probably lots more changes with digital. I mean, just even thinking about some of our contracts, the way they're structured, like if you look at the way deals were structured 10 years ago, 
it's relying a lot more on assuming that physical sales are going to be the the bread and butter and now we know that's not the case Mm -hmm. and so it's you know you have to shift your attention of which royalties to pay attention for and um you know ask for the higher royalty rate yeah right now there's there's actually a lot of turmoil when it comes to the music industry in general especially when it comes to how uh, music labels are making money whereas back in the day it used to be a lot more about physical sales if you look at a uh, the breakdown of where the money is going where the money from the labels or where the money is being generated not anything against vinyl i love vinyl but vinyl honestly is starting to be kind of faded out record companies more and more and more just hesitant to print even a single run of vinyl because it just is not selling it's such a special plateauing in like a certain pressing yeah exactly and it's just everything is is slowly shifting over to the digital world and right now at least the the laws haven't exactly kept up with it because the digital market has exploded we've seen in the last year updates to the law that are trying to address that um with the music modernization act and things like that but I mean, changes are happening. Changes are still going to constantly happen. Is licensing going to go anywhere? Is copyright going to go anywhere? Probably not. Is it going to be a major upheaval? No. It's one of those things that, unfortunately, the the system is kind of broken for (laughs) for the technology we have nowadays. But starting from scratch is also an unrealistic undertaking at this point. So we're kind of doing the best that we can with the speed that we can and it's kind of, it feels a little bit like piecemeal and it's just a matter of kind of keeping your ear to the ground you know subscribing to the major news publications of the industry like billboard i i can't say enough of, of the importance of that because that'll really keep your thumb on the pulse of what's going on and it'll keep you up to date as to like where the money is being made where where you want to focus your energy right because if you focus too much energy on an area that's just dying, you're, it's, it's wasted energy. And then also, I mean, just to echo what you said earlier about streaming services exploding, you know, there's just, at some point, I think we're going to reach a plateau or, or oversaturation as far as content. But, I mean, now's mm-hmm. the time to take advantage of just so many TV shows being produced that need music. And also, I mean, people can make films on a really low budget now. People are making films for $300,000, which is... Un- you know, would have been unheard of 10 years ago. And great films that like, yeah. are doing really well at like Sundance and things like that. I mean, these are, they're not small films. And, and over the next couple of years, I think we'll see a content competition. You know, my favorite show ever is the OA, which, you know, <laughs> is a Netflix produced property. But you better believe that when Disney has their competing streaming service that that wants to take, you know, people away from Netflix, that they're going to do the same thing and you're going to have original content being you know cbs i think just came out with the only way to see the twilight Twilight zone Zone is to get the cbs exclusive streaming thing and if you think about that the more of these until the market kind of picks the winners and losers there is going to be a lot of opportunity you know for for licensing especially in in movies and and tv shows there's also a bunch of bots out there that scan YouTube and videos for people that are using music, like let's say they ripped one of your songs or whatever, and if your stuff's not registered or with a publishing company or whatever, they're going to keep using it. But there are all these Autobots that will flag it and they'll take it down from YouTube or whatever, and then they'll try to come after you to get money for them for the for, for your not you know for your song that they're using. So I imagine that's going to be does secretly use a 
Do you guys have a bot? That you I mean, we don't have a bot, but I mean, like, YouTube has its own recognition technology where, like, I mean, it's the same way Shazam works or something, yeah. you know, where it's like it can recognize your copyrights. And yeah, I mean, there are more services popping up for artists and writers who maybe don't have a, a label or publisher where it's like a third party service who are doing kind of land grabs uh, for rights. And, you know, we'll go out and do these sweeps and come to a writer and say, we found all these things that aren't being monetized. Can you uh, pay us to collect it? Yeah. I think there'll be more of that. And I, th I think there's also, too, you know, you mentioned Billboard. I think you should also pay attention to the other side of it. Like David Lowry, the guy from Cracker, has been one of the people I've paid attention to the most in terms of what's changing in terms of songwriter royalties. Mm -hmm. You know, he's deep down that rabbit hole. And then and if you just follow one Twitter feed, you end up he ends up forwarding everything that's songwriter royalty related into one spot and you can get educated really fast um, that way so from i guess the onset of like if a tv show wants to put a song that's on one like on a label how much time does that usually take as far as getting that cleared because i feel like a lot of times i'll hear something on the radio and then i'll hear it in a tv show within a couple of days and i don't know how long this I mean, a lot of times, like, our creative team is pitching stuff to music supervisors before the music's even been released publicly. Okay. So it's, you know, sometimes you might premiere a song via a sync. Um, but as far as turn time, I mean, we get requests all the time where they're like, we're in the editing room tomorrow, we need to know right now. And it may be that the show comes out next week. Like, those things can happen really quickly. We make it happen, yeah. It's. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's when you're calling the artist and you're like, "There's this amount of money on the line. Like, we need an approval or denial right now." That's what I was gonna say. It's like a lot of times it ends up, "What? What are we talking about? Like, how much money are you talking about? Are you saying I need this tomorrow and I'm gonna give you twenty bucks? Not gonna happen. But if you say I need this tomorrow and I'm gonna pay you fifty thousand dollars to use ten seconds of your song, chances are someone's gonna light a fire under someone's ass. Yeah. <laughs> And I think people in, in the local music scene that I've interacted with ha don't have an understanding of how long things are shopped before it ever yeah. is out. You know, I love the new Liz Cooper record. Nobody has any clue. It sat on the shelf for two years while they got the right team behind that record. And to the extent that it had placement in the first month that it was out, it was because the placement was done before they had their whole promotional team assembled and, yeah. and, and long before... Um, you know, the record was out. Um, and so, I, you know, people are always in a rush to get their content out. You know, people will even get their content out in a way that Spotify doesn't have enough time to index it. And it's so it's only on iTunes on their release day because mm -hmm. um, iTunes tends to be a little faster. Um, take a month or three months or six months in making sure all of it is right and it all can hit at the right time. And that gives you the opportunity to pitch to a team of people to support you. And it, it, it gives you a chance to see if labels are interested or if somebody on a contingency deal will take promoting your music you know, for film or TV. Um, absolutely worth doing. I guess the other thing as far as timeline, you know, if you are lucky enough to have a request kind of land in your lap, like what happened to you, you know, take time to read the fine print and don't feel like you have to be pressured into doing something, but also don't dilly-dally because if you wait too long, the agency or supervisor probably will move on. Yeah. 
there are plenty of, of other options out there and plenty of people wanting to license their music. So there has to be certainly some alacrity. My question is so loaded. But I think I come from the layman perspective where I'm an artist at the cusp of being willing and ready to try to shop something. I don't even know what shop means. I'm like the grandparent that just got the first computer trying to send first email. I don't understand the concept. I don't understand anything besides I feel like you build this team that we keep talking about throughout this discussion. Team to me means the artistry plus capital investment equals team. And I think there's a certain leap that comes, as, like I said, it's a loaded question. I don't know how to word it, but who is this team? Even on a local microcosmic level, how do you find this team? still that archaic and kind of romantic element to shopping? Is it the artist going and giving a CD or a digital you know, download or sending it to SoundCloud to a label and just trying and taking that great leap? Is that where the team starts? Or it's that fundamental first step that I don't So there's no, probably no right answer. Um, Right, but but I think that I mean my friends that have been really successful in it will tell you they've they've done it a million different ways, you know, um, and others will tell you that the same thing that worked for artist one didn't work for artist two. I, I'm best with examples. So like if you look at Liz Cooper or you look at Becca Mancari or you look at kind of people coming out of the Nashville scene that are what I consider to be mid-level, on the rise, mostly Americana type artists they're finding that there isn't a label to support them unless you get on whatever the label that Nikki Lane and Robert Ellis is on that's named. Dual always. Tone? Is it Dual Tone? No, it's or, the other uh, one. Um, New West? New West, yeah. So unless New West grabs you, right, there isn't a label that, that's or Dual Tone that's grabbing those kind of artists. And so they're grabbing a promotional team. And yeah. they're paying for it, you know. And, and technically, Becca's record was self-released. But I mean, when you're paying for it, you shouldn't be paying somebody up front. It should be that they're taking yeah. a cut on the back end. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so then they have skin in the game and they have a reason to push it. And, you know, you'll some people will tell you do everything through them. Some people tell you try to do the merch on your own so that you don't have to pay a cut on the merch. You know, there's a million different ways to do it. I will say that. I don't think hardly anybody save Billie Eilish is getting an excellent wraparound deal from a major label at 17 anymore. You know, like, mm -hmm. like it, that thing has, it's, there's not enough money in the, you know, we, the last panel talked a little bit about monetizing art and I just don't think people value art and are paying for art in the way that they did even 20 years ago. And so there's less money coming into the system. So there's less money to go around. Um, and there's so much art. Yeah, there's so much art. Yeah. It's so like easy it's to be it's, content it's, free. Yeah, it's, it's just yeah. art has become commoditized. I mean, yeah. that's that's what it's what it is. But I would, uh, you know, to add on to what you're saying, it's there is it, like you said there. I don't think there is a right answer. But if you're going to be looking for a team, if you're going to be building your own team, I think one of the most important things you want to consider is what that individual that you're going to add to your team can add to your personal goals, right? 
for example, and not to be shameless plug here, but the the one of the owners of the farm I work at, Midas Gilbert Rose, Robert Midas, one of the greatest values that I've seen working with him that he provides to his clients, honestly, is his Rolodex. That man can pull up his phone and be like, I can connect you with this, these 50 people and we can talk to all these people and see what, what comes out of it. And something's usually does and and that's exactly it you want to have people that have connections because unsurprisingly the entertainment business very much is it's who you know like everything else it's who you know so having people around you and it's not just about having people around you that can connect you to these people you want to have people around you that can a connect you to these people but more importantly also believe in the product that you're creating you know if you know, it's like he said, if they believe in the product that you're giving them, if they believe in what they're in, what you're doing, they have some skin in the game. You know, you want people that are invested not only in you as a paycheck, but you want people that are invested in you as an artist and you as, you know, as, as your potential of what you can create and what you can provide. And I would say, like, if you're saying the team, I think oftentimes it's like, I have a manager, I have a booking agent, I have a publicist or something like that. If you want to do it all on your ground, because not everyone can do that, not everyone can afford that, not everyone can have the time to do that or there are enough pals that will do that or invest time in that. Um, and then shopping around on a level where it's like you're just you, you know. It's not like, um, you know, labels are all unsolicited, music supervisors are all unsolicited, so it's not like you can just email them, although there are so many stories where it's like, well, I just had a shot in the dark and I emailed them or I tweeted at them. And that's a big one too. It's like people get placement from tweeting at people. So it's like, go ahead and try. Cause what's good. I mean, You've got throw spaghetti at a wall. Something's going to stick, you know, but when they, I, there's a level where it's like, yeah, I've got a manager and I've got a booking agent. I've got a tour, tour guy and I've got this and I've got a PR person, and, you know, and that's, that's here. And you can also do a lot. You, I mean, you've connected so many people and you know when you tour and when you do your house shows and all that stuff, you know so many people that way. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's difficult, but that's why I say when <laughs> when you can find if you can find a team that does believe in you, um, and that's usually when you're going to find the deals where they're willing to do the work for you upfront, at no cost at for the artists. Um, because they believe in what's happening and because they're hoping that i mean obviously at the end of the day they hope that yeah maybe we'll get paid but that's not the main goal right it's it's trying to help someone get a little bit further and going with the oversaturation of of art um that we were talking about honestly sometimes people won't listen to your stuff if you don't have a team, whatever that team looks like, because there's just so much coming in all the time that they, there has to be some kind of filter. And oftentimes the filter is who's bringing it to us. And, and, and you have to be creative too. You know, one of the smartest things I did on the second record is I gave away the vinyl and I figured out what DJs played vinyl and I sent it. And they get a pile of CDs, but over and over again, I heard nobody has ever sent me vinyl. And I told the pressing plant, keep 100 copies for the people that work there so that they can each have a copy of the record they made. And the pressing plant was one of the biggest plants, and the owner called me and said, nobody has ever done that. And so then the pressing plant writes up a big thing about how amazing my album is <laughs> and puts it on their thing right below their Pink Floyd reissue and their Jimi Hendrix reissue and their Beatles thing. And, and all of a sudden I have legitimacy 
not because I earned it, because I had a, a creative idea. Um, oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I was going to say old school. Like, that's what we used to do. It's like every time we put out a, a CD, we would <laughs> figure out what radio stations, we mail it to them. You know, a lot of times, half the time, they probably won't open up your press kit. Now it's easy for whatever. Yeah. But there are companies that you can pay as well for plays. Like, it's, it's I don't know if it gets cheating or anything. You just pay them money. It's, I know. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you have to be able to separate, too, the people that are separating you from your money for no purpose, right? Like, people wanted to talk about uh, all the press I got on the second record. People always wanted to say, oh, let's meet at Squirt and talk about how to get more press for my thing. I sent everybody to one link so that I could see whether it did anything for me. 37 articles, 762 plays. That was worthless press. Like, almost nobody pressed play. So it looked good to people that didn't know better. But it was worthless. And the company that did it for me did it um, and said, we love your thing, we believe in it, we'll give it to you for free. And so I said, terrific, let's do this. And they said, if you like what we do, use us on your next thing. And, you know, so my next thing was about to come out and their rate was 2,500 bucks a month. And I was like, 2,500 bucks a month for not even 800 plays? Mm. Like I could pay a dollar a play to people <laughs> and save money. This is ridiculous. And so you have to be able to identify like the things that are gonna work and the things that aren't. Um, well, and I would add to that, there are a hundred million things that we can do that are gonna work and it may not work. Yeah. Like you can do everything right. You can, I mean, you can have everything. You can have the X factor, you can have an entire label behind you, you can, and it may not work. And so it's like, well, we do what we do because we love what we do. and here are all the things we can do that will save us to try to get, like to, you know, uh, have a publishing company. So just in case, you know, if you do get offered something, you can make some money or, you know, make sure you register everything or make sure you own everything or make sure you get your stuff out there so that you can make money. Because if you're not doing those things, what is it, you miss 100 sh of the shots? Wait, you miss? It's a basketball reference. 100 of the shots you don't take. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a sports person, but, but that's what it is. It's like, okay, we're going to make the music anyway. We're going to, you know, be little gypsies and sell out of our whatever and press everything ourselves. We're doing it anyway because this is what we create. We're artists. We love it. But here are all the things we can do to make some money from that because, you know, that'd be great. Wouldn't it be great? And every time you see somebody accomplish something that you wish you accomplished, ask how. You know, people are more than happy to tell you about the successes that they've had. And you can learn so much by, you know, you know, a hundred times more people than I do. You know, just ask them. Every time you see something cool happen, how did that happen? You know, what did you do to set that up? Yeah, and 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 to add on to that, you know, honestly, when you're when you're going through all of this, when you're creating what you're creating, know your audience. Know your audience, and and make sure that the people that are working with you also know <laughs> your audience and work in that market. Because if they don't, they're they're just not going to be effective effective team members i think that's it are we good yeah awesome well thank you everyone thank you to all the panelists too
NAP. We ain't changing for another sucker. That shit can't be me. Flow runner, throw that thunder. Westbrook MVP. Call whatever I need him to be. Call it energy. Yeah, think and grow rich. Napoleon Hill, making invisible visibly real. Alchemy is art and skill. Pull it out the morphic field. Nothing's realer than how you feel. Know your wave like a seal. Brick land, watch me build. I know myself, that's why I'm ill. Even my 